back to the Segment Tips podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fritz, and <laughs> Johnny and Ronan are having a tickle fight over here. What do you? <laughs> I think Ronan's going to miss me when he goes, so he's getting in all the quality time he can now. Uh, and we've got a special guest with us today, Pippa York. Welcome back. Hello again. Good to have you. And we're sitting where? Well, Ronan, you set the scene for me, and then we'll have Johnny give us the uh, the stage rundown. Well, we're high up in the Alps here, aren't we? We've just crossed over from Switzerland and barely into France. We're, what, a kilometer or two down the descent from uh, where the border is at the top of the penultimate climb of today's stage, wasn't it? There was a climb to the finish, so that, that main climb that we've seen. The little dip at the end. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're about halfway down that dip. And yeah, it's picturesque here, isn't it? We've got... So are they fir so trees, are they, or what kind of trees? If you, are they? if you want to know exactly where you are, the other side is Pas de Montjean, and this is this is called the the, the the climb to Châtel. So we're in Châtel, and this side isn't the Pas de Montjean because that's the, the Swiss name. Well, I have to say, Châtel is lovely with all the um, chalets chalets that we have around us. There's the hillside is. Uh, clattered in them you might say <laughs> it's very 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 built up I was speaking to someone coming up the hill from the from the team buses afterwards and they were saying the Pyrenees isn't like this at all it's not as overbuilt it's not as crowded no, it's, it's empty. much quieter well not empty but yeah and there's it's... pros to cons to both of those things but this is quite nice sitting here yeah <laughs> this is more than decent <laughs> <laughs> we've got, we've got like, a, like a solid 10 out of 10 view over our, over our back shoulders here probably better than Cali where I last described first <laughs> Slightly better than Kelly. <laughs> it's beautiful, and we feel very lucky to be up here and very lucky to be bringing you another episode of the Cycling Tips Tour Daily podcast. Now, we've got a lot to talk about today because there's quite a few mountains in today's stage. We saw, well, we saw some movement and some definitive lack of movement, I would say. Uh, big breakaway with some big names in it. Johnny, could you give me the, the rundown? Yes, of course. We had... Um I'd say a popular stage winner in Bob Youngles after a couple of years where he struggled with uh, various illnesses and injuries. He was he broke away, he attacked from the breakaway group with 60 kilometers to go and held on despite a, a late surge from Thibaut Pino, who you know, the French public were were cheering on. But I guess if if a Frenchman can't win, it's good that you get a winner from a French team. He won by 20 seconds over Jonathan Castroviejo and Carlos Verona just behind him, two Spaniards who were from that breakaway group. Pino ended up fourth in the end after he didn't quite... It looked like he, cl he closed a lot of gap, but he didn't quite have it. But he still won the Combativity Award of the day despite a 60-kilometer solo attack from Bob, Bob Youngles, which lets you know how, how the Tour de France works. Um, then after that, we had, we had the GC riders who kept the, the break on quite a tight leash because of people like Rigoberto Uran who were, who were in the break, who threatened the yellow jersey. And even if they would have been happy to, to give him yellow, they always want to make sure they limit the, the time gap to some of those strong guys. Pogacar led them over the line. He had a little sprint, taking Jonas Vingegaard with him. Three-second three gap to Geraint Thomas, Adam Yates, Enric Mass, and Nairo Quintana. So, yeah, not no no... GC ambush, which wasn't really going to happen, but that's what everyone's kind of been talking about. And then uh, a Bob Youngle stage win, so pretty good day at the tour. Was it just not hard enough for the GC ambush that we've heard about? And I don't know who's honk honking the horns down there, but you probably can't hear it on the podcast anyway. Was it just not hard enough today, do we think? What are you, are you, are you expecting Walt Van Aert to win because it was another easy day? <laughs> like that, the question from the... the 
the press room yesterday. <laughs> um, I don't think many people would agree with you that it was easy. That's what. <laughs> 12, 15 guys came over to the, the Pas de Montjean with the, in the front in the in the GC group. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody was kind of enjoyed that at all. It looked pretty desperate now and again, and um, the group petto came in at what half an hour almost. So, yeah, Ben O'Connor was out the back almost from as soon as very got, rough day. He had a very rough day, and he kind of recovered towards the end, which was good to see. And I, I think a lot of guys will be. Just glad to get to Morzine to you know be in Morzine and the rest day. You know, on on the GC kind of battle, it it looks like nothing happened, but that that would have been quite tiring. You've been stuck in the inside the road all day. The uh, Garrett Thomas talking to Rod Ellingworth afterwards and said the final climb to the the finish was relatively easy, but it was on the penultimate climb where he really ramped it up a bit and there, there was a point where a couple of Yumbo Vizzo guys like swung off really quickly and then he had to close a gap and he was like oh, that was you know not something I needed to, to do today um, but yeah it's, it's, it's interesting I think I wasn't here for the press conference but a colleague said that in Tadeo Pogacis they were trying to ask him when he sort of expects any attacks and you know he's he's never going to say like that day that's the day where I think <laughs> it might be a risk so he says I don't know but I guess it it keeps us waiting and gives us something to talk about every day. <laughs> well, I guess that's, you know, it, it wouldn't really be an ambush if everybody could predict it happening. You would, <laughs> you would write <laughs> to stop it happening. So uh, they're, they, for that reason, they proved very, very difficult to predict. Um, but I, I did catch George Bennett from Team UAE straight after the finish. And he was saying the, f- the first comment he made about today's stage was that was not easy. And I hadn't, I hadn't suggested it was easy. I just said, you know, they had, they controlled the race and, they didn't see any big attacks from their GC rival teams. And he straight away said, you know, that that was not easy, but they had done a very good job. We earlier in the stage seen Mark Solaire, uh seemed like he was struggling early in the stage, was out the back quite early with the, sort of the sprinters group. But uh, while Bennett confirmed that he or she was there because he is struggling, he said that Mark Solaire was only there probably because he had crashed. Um, which makes sense because later in the stage, Mark Solaire did a, did a very good job. But I think... Looking at the break today, you, you know, I, I think Enios and Yumbo had riders in there that should the ambush opportunity present itself, they would have had an opportunity to capitalize upon it, but it probably wasn't their primary goal coming into today's stage. You know, we've seen Castro Vejo from Enios get third on the stage, I think, uh, which, you know, he when we see, initially seen him in there, you think uh, straight away, he you know, he's, he's there to do a job for one of his team leaders later in the stage. Uh, but he was given his own opportunity and he you know, he took that with a podium. And we've seen White Van Aert in the break also and he got maximum points at the intermediate sprint, which does his green jersey campaign no harm whatsoever. Uh, and then he, you know, that, that final main climb was just too difficult for him. Uh, but I think, you know, ultimately for the GC teams today, you can only really do the ambush when it, it's a bit like picking fruit from a tree. If you pick it too early, it just it's not it's not worthwhile. If you pick it too late, it's gone off. You just have to wait for that one moment where it's absolutely ripe, uh, and it's probably. Uh, by the way, I didn't make that up. It's an old director of mine told me that saying. Um, tell me, Barry, if you're listening. Um, but you know, it's in all likelihood today was you know Pogaccia and his team are both still too strong. Uh, but just because we didn't see it today, I don't think means that we won't see it in future. 
No. I talked with um, Charlie Wigelius from EF Education before, and he said they were going to try something and put Iran in the, in the escape and, you know, take a couple of minutes back. And it wouldn't have been a bad option for UAE either, you know, to just let the jersey go for, a, you know, a minute or so. If you let them take four minutes and then, you know, Iran would have been inside a minute ahead and they would have had the responsibility of looking after the race through the middle week. Because even if when we go to Abduez, it probably Iran will get dropped there as well because it's, it's a much harder climb than here. So, so that was an option for them, and, you know, and it would have passed on that responsibility and taken a bit of a workload off of the team and let them recover, UAE, recover a little bit. So so you could see the kind of tactical idea, you know, Ineos and, and Jumbo putting guys in there just in case something happened. Why do we think UAE kept it tight then? I don't know. I, I, I would have thought it was a better better deal to let it, you know, let somebody else take a little bit of responsibility. Ideally, they would have passed it on to a, a, a French team. You know, and, and let a French guy take the, the yellow jersey for a bit, but uh, none of them were strong enough. But Iran would have been perfect. Yeah, I, th I think Iran would have been a good bet also. You know, EF would have certainly tried to control the race for a few days, defend the yellow jersey as long as possible, and it would just take the pressure off UE. And so far, we have seen them, they're more willing than I had predicted they would be to really control the race, which is surprising given that we know that the the team that they've got here is certainly you know through they're under pressure yeah and it's not the team that they had initially intended to bring you know they lost Trenton uh, Mikael Berg isn't in his best form given that he had COVID previously they've lost um, a guy through COVID yep Mark Hirsi also and they've lost Stacker Langer Hirsi's not looking great so yeah it would have been ideal for them just to kind of pass it on and well, and in particular, they've lost all the guys that that are supposed to control things across the flats and across and in, and in the wind and and just sit in the front for three and a half hours at the beginning of the stage, right? I mean, they've still got George Bennett and they've still got Solaire and those guys appear to be and Rafa Mica and those guys are riding all really well. They just lost their diesels, basically. They they lost the guys that they need to control. So I'm I'm just I, I'm confounded by that actually. Like I'm I'm not really sure why. I, th I think. George Bennett, in, when, when you chatted with him, said something about, well, we just sort of rode our own pace, and that was what the gap ended up being, and, and the breakaway maybe did some dicking around today, uh, which may or may not happen. It's kind of hard for us to tell exactly what's what's going on and how, how much the pressure is getting put, getting put down on the breakaway, but it, it's still weird to me that they didn't just let that one go today. The There is one sort of counter theory, I guess. I, I'm 100% with you. I think they would have been better off to hand the jersey off for a few days uh, and and relax the pressure on them. But there is one sort of theory, and speaking to Kurt Bogart with Enios Grenadiers this morning, you know, I was sort of asking him, you know, what's the what's the plan with Tom Pidcock? And he was saying, well, you know, we don't really have a plan with Tom. That's He's here to gain experience. He's here to grow as a writer. And you don't grow as a writer if you pull the pin with, you know, as soon as the risk is hard every day. So we're going to keep him near the front and see how he progresses. And he will either naturally drop out of the race or he'll naturally stay in the race um but the the other you know I, I sort of asked him then well you know does Pitcock being so close on GC provide you with another option to put pressure on UAE yes he's not a rider who we could probably consider for winning the Tour de France but if he gets into a breakaway UAE are stuck in the sticky situation where they either have to give him five or ten minutes which does make him a danger or they have to chase him, which puts them, and both scenarios are risky for Team UAE. And he sort of said, well, yeah, you know, that you've always got that option for riders close, but their fear is that 
the while they sort of rely on having an ambush stage at some point, it might not actually present itself because the more dominant Pogaccia appears, the more happy other teams are to settle for second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way down throughout the top ten. And you could get to a point where teams are starting <laughs> to think, well, Pogaccia's unbeatable. We may as well defend what we have. Right. That, and that seems early to be thinking that way. That's what we call the Enrique Mass enig- enigma. <laughs> so every year, you know, the, the, the Spanish guys in the Spanish media here. I think it was Heimer Zubeldia before that. I, ask ask Enrique Mass you know when they're going when he's going to start defending his sixth position on GC and usually it's after you know the first mountain stage so <laughs> so if he's in six, I don't know where he is on, on GC probably sixth but um, they, they they start to speculate that Movistar or, or the tactical decisions are based on Enric Mass finishing sixth and, and, I, and I exaggerate slightly because it's quite cruel um, because it when you think about it, it's probably better for them to, to try and win a stage than finish six or, or win one of the classifications. But they always seem to be kind of contented with just with starting in the last 10 and then and the, the final time trial and, and never really having any influence over what happens. He's eighth at the minute, but he's 11 <laughs> seconds off sixth. So <laughs> there he's, still, he's still got, you know, maybe there's an attack in him. But weirdly, Movistar, <laughs> they're only ninth in the team's classification. Ooh. 38, 38 minutes behind Ineos, who have a one-minute lead on Jumbo Visma. <laughs> that, that was their classification. Before. They have moved up six places today, though, so they're they're on the march, and Movistar are coming back for the team classification. I mean, they weren't built for the first week, really. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> now is their time. <laughs> just just on that mass uh, subject, you need to check out his new bike, which I find quite interesting. Full bike check on the website at the moment. Good plug. <laughs> Top plug in there running. What else happened today, guys? It's a bit. Everybody got burned. Everyone got burned. Everyone got COVID tested. Yeah, everybody got. You ev- saw that, everybody got COVID. We we walked all the way down to the buses, which was a fair hike from here, and then got blocked on the way back because the gendarmes wouldn't let us walk past the PCR testing for some unknown reason, or take pictures of it for some reason. Okay. Maybe. Very strange. But yeah, I mean, it, it was. It wasn't just that they got tested after the stage. It was that they got tested before doing literally anything else down there. They, they, we were we were standing at the Yumbo bus for a while. Riders would would ride up to the bus, get handed a mask, and get sent straight down a couple hundred meters to where the PCR testing was happening. They'd get that done, and then they'd come back up and take their showers. So it it was a, a high priority at the finish today, and some some stress around it. Although I think that most of the riders, you know, spoke to to Jonas, Jonas Vingago and and. They seem kind of just resigned to whatever happens. I mean, he basically said, "I hope I don't get it. I don't. I hope I don't have it right now, and I can start on Tuesday." That was kind of the extent of the yeah. of the response, and, and that's all they can really do. I mean, I would say Yumbo's been sort of better about the bubble than a lot of other teams, but they just know that that it's a it's a little bit out of their hands at this point. Well, the the rumor is um, that it's getting started. I don't know. If one of the, I spoke to one of the French guys from who works in um, Southwest France, and he was saying that. The expectation is that the race bubble will recommence for on Tuesday. So the, by that I mean the race bubble. This is there's no access into where the the, the parking for the the teams are. So yeah. you, the media have have no access into the areas we have now. So the interviews and all that stuff that we can go to the bus and wait outside and wear a mask. That all ends like the previous two years, and we're on the other side of the fence with the public. That's a good idea. Shut the gate after the horse is bolted. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work, but it, but it doesn't really work until they the, they initiate the full race bubble again, where 
the teams who had separate places to eat in the hotels and separate floors. Because at the moment, you know, the, the, the access to, to people on the race, you know, the actual competitors and the, and the, the staff is open to the public. And today, the, some of the team buses were parked outside the, the, the allocated parking where the, the buses would normally be. So then the, the public was just all over them. So and you, you can't control that. And the, the sort of strange thing in that scenario, which has happened a couple of times so far in the tour, is that, you know, ourselves in the press, we're sort of taking all the precautions we can, hand sanitizer, masks, keeping our distance wherever possible, you know, selfie sticks for our phones, yeah. just doing everything, you know, to being, being sensible about it. But then the, the general public are massed around these team buses, you know, very tightly packed together, shouting and roaring for to catch their favorite writer's <laughs> attention with no masks on and no. you know it's it, it's not not criticizing either way but it's just it's a it's, it's a very it's strange it's sort of they uh, haven't contrast. initiated what they called their full race bubble before which was that even in the, the so the red the red aso cars which are before and just after the race which kind of control how the race operates on the on the, in the competition time even they had a race bubble separate from the riders, just in case one of them, you know, so I think it was, was it last year, the fir first year of COVID that Christian Prudhomme got COVID? Yes. And then Francois Le Marchand took over as race director. And so they, I suspect they'll, they'll, they'll do that again, just in case, you know, it spreads to them. It's, it does feel too late though, you know, you, just yes. overhearing some conversations amongst the riders there, they're saying, you know, they're expecting huge numbers of positives tomorrow. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're talking about when positives happen within the team that you know they're they're literally sitting talking to the guy who's gone positive and <laughs> half an hour later finding out that he had covid and you know we started going well there's one bullet with dodge not, but when's the next one coming right it's not exactly a cheery topic is it because <laughs> you're waiting thinking oh my tour de france is going to end on a a random decision and the guys might feel okay it's just going to be down to the guys who got it in uh in tour de suisse <laughs> Everybody who got in Tour de Suisse is going to now win the Tour de France, basically. I want to we get off this topic. I have a I have a sneaking suspicion that we're going to be back on this topic tomorrow or the next day. Uh, so maybe we'll leave that one there. Yeah, like I said, it, it was interesting to just see the the PCR testing go down down there. I mean, lots of folks in hazmat suits, and it's very efficient, very organized. Clearly, very important. Like I said, they they, they pulled them over before doing literally anything else, but. Uh, We'll see. We'll get the results tomorrow. That'll be an exciting time. And, and we have seen, we have seen, I mean, the, the guy that won the bike race today was positive right before this race started, <laughs> right? And was allowed to continue to ride because his PCR test essentially showed a viral load. Low, was it low enough? Low yeah, enough. Lower than the number 35. was high. It's a higher number, but it's a, because it's basically how long it takes to get to a certain, I think, volume or, or parts per whatever, regardless of the, of the science. A viral load that was low enough that he was allowed to continue to race, and 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 here he is winning a stage. Uh, so you know maybe there will be some riders who test positive tomorrow who can actually continue to ride. That's also a, a possibility. And after a difficult couple of years for Bob Youngles as well, it's probably worth just to mention of that. You know he's yeah. I wanted to I wanted to pivot back to Bob here, Jungle Bob, one of our favorites. Uh, he's been through some stuff, like you said. Um, so he had arterial end endofibrosis which is a thickening of the arteries and it was in both hips, which is a really rare condition. Um, and most of the people who have to treat that kind of condition haven't seen it. And it involved surgery in the, in the winter. 
to kind of um, remove the blockage. So when he was in a high stress situation, you know, so he needed a lot of um, blood to flow through those veins. The, the restriction then meant that couldn't happen. So he would go into kind of what, you know, lactate state or oxygen debt or whatever you want to call it. And um, he was stuck at a certain level and he couldn't get, as soon as he tried to go above that, it would hurt. And, and he, it took a while to find that out. Well, it seems like he's fixed it or at least hopefully fixed it. I mean, there's been some other riders that have gone through the exact same procedure. Joe Dabrowski, in fact, uh, your pick, I think, for today. Unfortunately, he got, got popped off a bit early, but he's never been really the, the same, I think, since he had the procedure. And I don't know if that was probably just sort of not fully corrected versus the procedure actually being an issue. He came back closer up to the level that he had previous, but he never got quite back up to, you know, the, the, the Joe that we'd seen win the baby Giro, for example, or it, second of the baby Giro. It's actually something that I've looked quite a lot into because uh, myself and a couple of experts I spoke to almost certain that I have that sort of condition in my left leg. Um, basically, you know, if, if I go above threshold at all, my power balance goes to like 45, 55, where my left leg's at 45%. Uh, and it basically just feels like your muscles in that leg are being starved of oxygen. Uh, and, you know, I'm not really at a point in my cycling life where I need to go and get an operation to, to fix it. Um, and also a couple, a couple into the fact that not all operations are successful. Um, it's first of all difficult to pinpoint where the blockage is. And then it's not always entirely successful, even if you do go for, for the operation. So um, it's, it's something that I think... It probably always affected cyclists, but we're more aware of it now because they can actually diagnose it. Yeah, um, there was a bit of um, kind of coverage of the, that topic when it was um, the liliac artery. Yes. So, so slightly further down in your, in your thigh. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to be a thing that happened quite a lot where you would get that burning sensation at a certain level of effort. And um, a number of riders, you know, some number of women riders were affected by it, um, even quite recently. So... It's one of those topics where you, as, as, as the kind of medical science gets better, they can study blood flow and all the rest of it to various you know, muscles and organs and they can see if there's any problems there. And is it just that I'm more aware of it now or is it that it's we do hear more of it now or is it something that's been around for decades? I think it's one of those things is as you get slower, <laughs> you get more desperate. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> Certainly, I'm, I'm doubting my... my I'm, I'm wondering what my... My excuses will be for for being so slow. <laughs> well, we're happy to see him back. Good to see Bob Jungles back. Uh, looked for a little bit there, like Thibaut Pino was gonna was gonna do it, which I think also would have been a popular thing. I was just gonna say you need Pino to sort of crash and burn and not get the victory a couple of times, so then he can be resurgent and like a phoenix from the ashes rise up and all of France stands up in applause in unison well, and then that's the Tour de France he fell off three times yesterday yeah, he did isn't that enough <laughs> this is his second one then third time when so he goes off on so the Alpes stage I was going to say he's going to win on Bastille Day and Alpes d'Huez right? yeah. that's well, got to be the plan at this point th that would be the plan whether he's capable of doing it but yeah but it's good to see him back you know because yeah. we I think we tend to forget that you know that that France needs ride, French riders and so we, today we had AG2R and Bob Youngles so that kind of saves a little bit of their pride however they need a, they need French riders in the front yeah well we were leafing through Le Keep this morning in the village 
And did you get to page, was it page 20 before you got to the Tour de France? Yep. Yep. Which is, and then they, I think they had an article today as well saying like how, how AG2R's tour is kind of unraveling and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it turned out to be a little bit incorrect there. Yeah. yeah page I mean, 20. Page 20 to, it, to, until you got to tour coverage today, led, like keep led by the women's Euros, which was actually great to see. So if it's, if it's, if cycling's going to get banished to the, the, the lower or the higher page numbers, uh, the women's zeros is probably not something that Lakeep was spending a ton of pages on five, ten years ago. So that actually was perfectly fine by me. Can we read anything into you know, Pino looked great on the final climb when he, he went to ride across, but he just wasn't able to sustain that pace all the way by, by the looks of it. And then he struggled on the descent again. I don't know if he struggled on the descent or just Young. So, because Young was dropped time in Jessica on the, on the descent as well. So I think we can establish that, you know, Jungles is a good descender and, uh, Gesco's probably average, you know, but average is already crazy. And um, yeah, Thibaut Pinot probably slightly below average, you know, once he's really tired. So, you know, but on the way up, he, he looked good. You know, he didn't look in a complete state. He just needed another probably kilometer, another slightly steeper bit. And then he would, I think he would have come back then. Whether we stayed with um, Bob Youngos on the descent or, or in the sprint is, is hard to say. Could he have done anything earlier in the stage in following Jungles, or do you think he played his strategy? No, right? the, the, you know, so Bob Jungles said, said an interesting thing that when he attacked with 62 kilometers to go, the team radio went kind of silent. You know, there was no real encouragement for him to, you know, it was almost as if, uh, that's he took that silence to mean, like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and you can understand why, because normally, you know, 60k to go, he's probably got 30 kilometers before he hits the bottom of Pas de Montjean. And it's a long climb, so he's done 30 kilometers on his own in, in the winds, riding, pulling a big gear. And there, it'd be better if he had four or five riders with him. So you could you could see why their, their, their encouragement was kind of a bit stunted for a while because they were thinking he's going to blow it, and, he, and then he didn't. Maybe he just has a huge Tour de France stage winning bonus or something. They didn't want them to <laughs> have to pay him. <laughs> You never that know. Might be true. Actually, it might be true. Most of them do. I would say most most of the riders who have some chance of winning a tour stage probably have something like that in a contract. Well, he's he's been you know he he went to eighty two hours a big rider coming from Quick Step, so then you know he's already on a, on that giant contract and he's he said himself you know he felt he had the mental challenges of of not being at his level. And then obviously he's got his own, you know, you have your own personal pride and, and if you're getting paid a lot of money and you're rubbish, then, you, then, then you're then you kind of, you know, annoyed with yourself and frustrated and, and you kind of lose a bit of respect for yourself. So it was, that, there wasn't just the physical, mental, the kind of physical challenge of, of returning to the level he was at, but it's also the kind of mental work he'd have to do to get there. It's good to see him just sort of back back at i mean this is a rider who was riding for gc for for a little while there i mean it, it was a bit of an experiment and never particularly successful but was he like 11th at the tour and sixth in the giro i think sixth in the giro i mean like solid solid rides he's had, he's had decent spells in the pink jersey on yeah. two occasions yeah and, and always sort of built off the back of, of of pretty exceptional time trial ability and then sort of transferring that into into an ability to climb as well and uh, it, it seems to me i mean just 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 looking at him he doesn't look as kind of crazy lean as he did when when they were in the middle of that experiment and maybe that's just sort of better for his for yeah. his body and and yeah. he's reacting better to it and actually back to kind of riding in addition to the procedure we were talking about earlier back to riding the way that he kind of should be 
he also rides with his elbows about as far out as they could they could possibly <laughs> physically arrow. go. Yeah, yeah, which makes it more impressive, really. <laughs> he needs to go get some lessons from Taco Vanderhorn on on mm, basically be on, a, on, a, on a TT bike on his road bike. I do want to. I want to transition here back over to the GC fight because we had a you know we had a mountain stage today, a real mountain stage today, and I think we can take some things from it, even if there wasn't a whole lot of movement. Uh, the big one, and Ronan, you actually wrote a piece this morning or last night. Went up this morning. Uh, reasons to be cheerful about <laughs> about about the GC fight, and one of them, and one of them was just the fact that actually Vingigo hasn't really been dropped yet, uh, and Pogacar has tried. So I think if we're being cheerful, if we're being optimistic, is today another indicator, perhaps, that we might see a tighter fight through the mountains than we were thinking even a couple days ago. Uh, I think so. Even you know, straight away looking at the finale of today's stage, it was Pogaccia and, and Vinigo again who put three seconds into the other favourites. So, you know, certainly those two are seem to be, you know, the best going uphill at the moment. But the the you know the difficulty remains. What I was sort of saying was that the, it's the two GC teams, Yuma Visma and Ineos Grenadiers, who have numbers and can maybe play those numbers to out strategy. Uh, Pogaccia and his team in the coming weeks and that, that's why we still have a few reasons to be cheerful and the route actually provides opportunities to do so but you know sort of with specifically to Vinegar himself he you know he was good on plans to Belfi and while Pogaccia perhaps you know wanted to win that stage wanted to increase his uh, time gap to, to Vinegar in second he wasn't able to do that. Vinigo was able to not only stick with him, but put in a you know a good good attack in the final couple of hundred meters. And it was rather than Pogaccia being all dominating and the force that we know he is, it looked more to me like just the absolute champion who refused to be beaten at anything. Who that that gave him the power to overcome Vinigo on that that climb. But the point I'm trying to get to here is that for Vinigo to actually, as good as he is at the moment and as equally matched as he seems to be with Pogaccia on longer climbs that we've seen so far, he definitely isn't better than Pogaccia. So, you know, he's not, he's not going to go and drop him. Uh, and I think Vinigo is sort of, as I said in the piece, maybe snookering himself into being the next best rider and the first marked every time. And it could actually be someone from further back like Roglic or like... Garen Thomas, um, Danny Martinez is, is out of it now the last 16 minutes today, but it could be one of these riders slightly further back on one of those two teams who might actually profit from how good Vinigo is this year. Vinigo seemed happy today with his with his current gap to Pogaccio, 40 seconds, I believe it is, and and basically said that's, that's well, that's only one bad day, right? And then turned around and immediately said, oh, but Pogaccio doesn't have bad days <laughs> and kind of no. caught himself, which is probably probably going to be the reality this 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 month no I, it, the from experience i've been in that situation where you come in the front group and, and the guys who are going to win you know and going to finish on the podium and they gap you in that final sprint that kind of is quite telling you know of the level of tiredness that each guy's got so you've got the first two you know so they're still recovering and they're still fre relatively fresh and then you've got the next little group who've been blasted out the wheel in the acceleration and then you've got the guys struggling behind them you know have lost another three four seconds in, in a couple of hundred meters and that kind of gives you an indication of how their recovery is from the the stress of the race up to up till now 
And usually that plays out when you come to the big mountains and there's a, there's a say, Vingigo attacks and, you know, um, Gacha covers it straight away. Then you'll find in the second group, you know, um, Roger Lake, uh, maybe Thomas, you know, kind of struggling to keep them in view. If they, you know, if they continue, they'll just ride away. The vibe you're getting from Ineos, at least today, was that they do expect Pogaccia to be obviously dominant in the Alps next week. Um, but when asked, Garant Thomas was asked whether you know Ineos will be teaming up with Jumbo Visma, and Garant Thomas goes, "Well, yeah, if we end up a couple of us being up the road, then yeah, but I'm I'm not going to be phoning him up, uh, <laughs> asking you know discussing what we're going to do, which is a shame really because I would love to hear a phone conversation between those two individuals." Well, as Ronan pointed out, I don't think he can say that. It's like literally against the rules. <laughs> but it is what he needs to be doing. <laughs> he should be on well, the phone. I, I bet those directors have, you know, they have just, each other's numbers. Just keep your eyes on TV. And if you see the Yumbo car pulling alongside the Enios car and the windows come down and both, <laughs> there could be a conversation going back and forth. And, you know, it may be about the weather or it may be about the strategy for the rest of that stage who knows I don't think that kind of stuff happens anymore <laughs> I know you, your friends are your friends and you haven't you don't usually you haven't usually kind of bought them bought a favour you know really when that kind of stuff happens you, it's at a lower level um, for you know for the big teams they're, they're too, they have too much at stake to, to kind of do that stuff well and you don't want to be you don't want to end up being the accidental just teammate domestique for the wrong team <laughs> Right. No one wants no one wants that to accidentally happen. So, you know, if you're gonna oh let's let's uh let's work together and we'll just hit them back to back to back. Who's going first? Right. Yeah, you Who's go gonna first. be the one that's that is doomed you, to failure? You you do the bottom <laughs> of the climb and I'll 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 I'll, I'll take over once we get to the finish. Yeah. It's probably not gonna be particularly effective. That that doesn't end well. It doesn't yeah. end with an exchange of Christmas cards, that's for sure. <laughs> Are there any other reasons to be cheerful? Sunny, warm. It is sunny and warm and beautiful up here. I've got one. The Mayo Sable is hotting up. <laughs> Pepper, are you aware of the Mayo Sable? I only found out about it a couple of days ago. What's this? Ronan, do you want to, you're the chief explainer of this. Do you want to? Well, I can explain it. I don't think I'm... I think it was Exekiri who came up with this idea. With... Well, R Rupert Guinness and I invented invented the Mayo Sable a couple of years ago when we were just making up uh, how, how, jerseys, how do, making up our own jerseys. How do you spell this? This Sable like sand, S-A-B-L-E. And yeah. Mayo Sable? Mayo Sable. So, so, the, it, so the sandy jersey? Sandy jersey, yeah. Okay. So it's named after an hourglass and it is uh, the, the rider closest to one hour behind, but you have to be at least an hour. So 59-59 does not qualify. One hour, one second, you are currently in the Mayo Sable. Uh, and we've had some riders who really fought for the Mayo <laughs> over the years, including George Bennett, who we mentioned in the previous podcast, who lost it on the Champs-Élysées and was absolutely devastated. Who is our current Mayo Sabla? We've actually got a huge battle going on here between Ooh. between two riders from the same team. Uh, but I, I just want to update you on today's Mayo Sabla. Yeah. Chris Juliansen lost the jersey today. Oh, I actually sad. asked Matt White from Team Bike Exchange if they were going to defend the Mayo Sabla today. <laughs> he kind of looked at me like I had 10 heads and... And then give me a one-word answer that begin begin with N and end with O. So, so, <laughs> so this Mayo Sable thing, it's an hour. So if you're an hour down every day, an hour down on GC. It's on GC. No, so no, I don't mean every day. I mean on the GC. So the guy who's an hour nearest to an hour down every day, does he get points for something? Well, it's, it's whoever Pick will have the the one hour down in Paris is really what you want. And so, frankly, anybody who's got the Mayo Sable this early is toast. Is, is toast. They're, yeah. You know, unless they're going to match. 
poggy the rest. What what is it? What if they go for for a for a, a double? You know, so they end up two hours down. <laughs> Ooh, I hadn't thought about that yet. Sabla squared. Sabla squared. That could be the young Mario Sabla jersey. <laughs> or the old one. Or the old one. Yeah, we're 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 currently making plans to craft a podium that we're going to place outside a team bus. Have you got a, a design for this jersey yet? <laughs> Uh, we, we actually do, far, from do a couple years ago, uh, one of our Velo Club members designed one, if I remember correctly, and we, that might, well, there might even be one sitting somewhere. Could just borrow a Yumba Visma jersey, because the color they've gone for is just like sand. Like, like... Grainy sand. Grainy, bloody sand. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if they'll be, they'll be volunteering to, to, to donate to that. <laughs> but where everybody's in suspense to find out who has the Mayo <laughs> for tomorrow, so let me bring it to you. Uh, the two writers in question are Alexei Goujard of B&B Hotels Ooh. and Pierre Roland Ooh. of B&B Hotels. They're separated by exactly one minute with Alexei Goujard on one hour and eight seconds. So almost a perfect Mayo Sable time. Wow. But Pierre Roland, one minute ahead of him, 59.08, just, ah. just missed it today. Had he been 42 seconds slower, he would have been... I feel like he won the overall one year in the Mayo Sable. If I remember correctly, well, it, I it surely think he would did. be in his pro cycling stats it, top it, results. Mayo <laughs> Sabla. It generally goes to a quite strong rider. I mean, an hour behind at the end of the Tour de France is usually in the top twenty. Well, it's like last 18th year was, usually. It was Wout van Aert, wasn't it? I think it was. Have you told him that? <laughs> Have you do, went with a proper, you know, presentation and the whole thing? <laughs> Just bring him the jersey. I'd love to do that. At the, at the moment, in twenty fourth, exactly ten minutes down is Thibaut Pino. Ooh. I don't think he would like it. I don't think he would get it or appreciate know. it. Do you think? I don't know. I don't, I don't think be the so. only jersey he takes home. So, yeah. you know. All right. <laughs> That's enough. We have our Milesab update for today. Of course, we will continue to update you throughout the Tour de France on, on who is currently leading that classification. It is time for us to pop over to the Giro. The Giro final stage today uh, was a stage win from... Chiara Consoni of Valkar, Annemiek van Vleuten won the overall with Marta Cavalli in second and Mavi Garcia in third. And our final audio diary from the Girodone is from Neve Fisher-Black, who won the Best Young Riders jersey. So let's hear from Neve. That's that, huh? We finished the Girodone for 2022. Um, 10 hard days in the sun. <laughs> That's probably what made it hardest. Uh, well, actually nine days with the, with the prologue, but yeah, the prologue was pretty hard too. <laughs> um, I'm just in Milan Airport now, a very, very busy Milan Airport. As you can probably tell from my voice, I'm pretty tired. Sort of the, re- the mind's let go now. There's no pressure to recover and and get ready for the next day now the mind is uh time to relax and yeah definitely i think that was the hardest thing probably for everyone today just keeping the the mind in the in the the head in the game (laughs) but um we definitely did it and it was a grippy grippy last day flat stage short and fast um there was a hill early on which was yeah it was pretty hard there was some pressure on up there and uh I enjoyed the race because I, I sort of let go a little bit and went back to my own racing instincts and, and tried to follow a few attacks and things. So I, I had fun with it. I was hoping a little bit more would happen. Some teams would try some things, but most teams just waited for the sprint. Um, we rode for Lotter in the sprint. But yeah, it was a bit of a tricky sprint. Uh, I think a few teams got it wrong a bit. Balsamo, 
also got it wrong, obviously. And yeah, Lotta didn't get it right either. So um, yeah, it was not the result we we hoped to finish with. But yeah, I think we can be really happy with the tour. Um, got to stand on the final podium there for for the white jersey, and and I'm really proud to take away top five in GC. That was a goal that I came for, so it's really cool. Um, definitely, it was a huge team effort. We only finished with four, but with Christine as well in the beginning, it's yeah, and also the staff. I think no one can quite comprehend comprehend how. Yeah, much the work the staff have to do behind the scenes, and then no one sort of sees that part of it. Um, maybe we race on TV, but yeah, no one sees what the staff are doing, and and there they've got the early mornings and the late nights, and yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, that's the Giordana done and dusted, and uh, I'm really happy. I think and I think the team's really happy, and yeah, it was a really well organised race, and it went really well. So yeah. Now for some rest and recovery and some lots of Tour de France watching because I won't be at the Women's Tour de France, but yeah, I'll be cheering on my teammates from behind the TV screen. So yeah, thank you. And thank you, Abby and the Freewheeling Podcast for having me share my Giro with you. It's uh, been really a pleasure to share my thoughts a little bit every day and I hope you enjoyed. Thanks to Neve for providing diaries throughout the Giro, as well as Leah Thomas. Uh, we really appreciate the time and energy and effort you all put into those because we know that the Giro is a tiring affair. So thanks again. Now, we do have a bit of a corrections corner over here. Ronan, what have you screwed up today? I No, well, not really screwed up and not really a correction either, but I just want to come back on something we've touched on a couple of times over the last a uh, few days, and that is uh, white fan art. <laughs> you look great. <laughs> do you want to describe how I look with it? I don't think I could do it justice, unfortunately. Uh, here's, gonna... here's what I'll do. I will take a photo of you, and I will put it on my Instagram. It looks much Fretz. better on Pippa than Ronan. I it think does that's, look that's significantly, the, the hat looks today. significantly better on Pippa no, than no it looks people, on you. Now people will be worried what was happened to him. <laughs> well, thank you for your hat. It's uh, really saved my eyes here. <laughs> but I want to go back to White Van Art. Yes, yeah. uh, today is my last podcast for this Tour de France. I'm it, off to. Well, no, you'll be back for Paris. Uh, yes, I'll be back for Paris. Yeah. But I'm off to Eurobike for the next uh, few days, so I'll not be back until Paris at least. Um, but I've been rather sore on White Van Art and his. Uh, how, how could I put it? His enthusiasm for press conferences and his ability to display any emotion whatsoever. Um, but as I was waiting for the gendarmes to let me through the PCR blockade today. Uh, White Van Aert came out from having his test done and came up to the team bus where his family was waiting, his uh, wife I believe and uh, son were there and it was just a lovely moment, he spent time before he got on the bus, he was on his green jersey, the podium one with the zip up the back and he was all smiles, he was joking with you know other people around the bus, he was you know, uh, smiling for cameras and for TV uh, cameras and he just spent a lot of time with his family and I sort of made the conscious decision I wasn't going to use my camera. That was time that he had with his family and I didn't want to, you know, it's none of my business, but I was stuck there. I couldn't go <laughs> anywhere. I couldn't help but notice just how relaxed he looked. So, um, so this corrections corner is you thought 
Lovenart was kind of a dick, and now you don't anymore. And now you realize he's a human being. <laughs> yes, more or less. And I never thought he was a, a dick, as you put it, until this year. Sean uh, Corver, he's actually human. <laughs> certainly, some of the press conferences he did, you know, he sat, he, he never lifted his head to look, at, albeit he would be looking down a camera and not actually looking at the other people. But And he gave some pretty sharp answers to some questions that were, you know, reasonable questions um, it's, it's, al yeah. it's almost like he would be, he's a bit grumpy and tired isn't it you know after those those stages where does he's does Van Art get tired I imagine he does yeah. well he certainly it, it just struck me how fresh he looked today after being on the break on the podium PCR test no doubt had a you know, probably stuck up a, his nose, all the rest. Yeah, probably probably had an anti-doping control also, given that he's wearing one of the jerseys, uh, and still, you know, haven't without having yet got the kit that he wore for the stage off. He was, you know, in very good spirits. Maybe because of the rest day ahead tomorrow, but I just I, I just wanted to mention that and and give some balance to my <laughs> wife and art opinion critique. I think it's nice that your your Tour de France arc has you know come come full circle really nicely. Um, but yeah, we'll have to maybe maybe a couple of stages. I'll I'll chip in and slag off White Van Art a couple of times just to <laughs> just to just make to it feel like you're still here. A bit of balance in the, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, Ronan, we'll miss you. We will. Uh, but you will be back for Paris. We. Peppa's gonna miss her hat. <laughs> <laughs> it's your hat now. Uh, yeah, we've. We're, we're, Pippa's gonna be back a bunch of times over the next couple, what two weeks? We still got left. Uh, our friend Josh Robinson from the Wall Street Journal is going to be joining us on our, our, our itinerary. So I, I would imagine that we rope him into a couple episodes. We'll find some folks to replace you. Do our best. And we'll be back pretty sure on Tuesday. We might make a podcast tomorrow. We haven't decided yet. But I'm going to guess that we don't. So probably Tuesday. Thanks for listening, everybody. 